Welcome to The Crux. Each week, two of the world's top communicators take you behind the scenes of the news of the day to explore the crux of communications that are shaping business, politics, and our daily lives. Hi, this is Gary Sheffer. And hi, I'm Mike Fernandez, and we're glad to be with you from Boston University. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Crux. Here with my partner, Mike Fernandez. How Good to be here. How you doing, Mike? Good, good, uh, good. I we, We'll just jump, go over it really quickly. Yankees done in six versus the Astros. I, I would say this, they lost to a good team. They did, they did. Yeah. I, I got to tell you, though, when LeMayu hit that, that, oh, that home run to tie it all up, I thought, yes, yes. Yeah, th- there's still hope. There's, right. You know, uh, the hope still lives. Uh, and, and then, of course. And that's like the magic of the 90s Yankees. Remember all those yeah. Tino Martinez and oh, all those yeah. home runs? To tie games, Jeter, that kind of thing. Yeah. I thought that's what it reminded me of. Back but but you know, in, I mean, it was a great yeah last baseball game, right? Uh, in the sense that you know, so they they catch up, and and even you know there were two outs in the ninth. Yep. You know, there's one runner on. Altuve is up, and of course he. Yeah, and you got your best reliever. Yeah, yeah. Throwing hundred miles an hour, so yeah. you figure you're you're yeah. good. But you know what? It was a much better year than we thought it would be. It at the beginning. Yeah, exactly. And you were right on that, and I was wrong, as usual, about the Yankees. Anyway, okay. So, hey, a couple of things we want to talk about today. You know, the Boeing case uh, involving the 737 MAX just yeah. keeps getting more and more interesting. And we've got a guest today that's going to talk on the crux about employee culture, um, employee engagement communications, uh, Ethan McCarty, and he's just terrific. But uh, for the first time, I'm really seeing how people inside Boeing are feeling about this crisis that yeah. doesn't seem to have an end in sight. Two things happened recently that um, talk about people inside the company. And one was a, an employee survey, which we all as CCOs remember these, a three-year-old survey that the Wall Street Journal uh, published showing roughly one in three, a third of Boeing employees re- who responded felt potential undue pressure from managers regarding safety related to approvals by federal regulators across the commercial airplanes business. And workload and schedule were cited as important causes. Uh, this was a survey and wasn't specific to the 737 right. MAX, um, Mike, but just generally people felt pressure to move things along more quickly as a part of these really complex and uh, detailed um, oversight uh, responsibilities of the Federal Aviation Administration. And the summary of the survey was from November 2016. It also said that 15% of those who responded encountered such um, direction situations where they felt pressured several times um, and, and others said frequently. So this is uh, an indication, again, that um, as we watch this thing unfold externally, that inside the company we're getting a, a peek into why this may have happened. Yeah, you know, and I think it's a it's a challenge for any company mm-hmm. faced with uh, financial challenges, mm-hmm. any company that has a lot writing on a particular, you know, product or 
uh, or event mm-hmm. uh, that people become a little gun shy. Yeah. I mean, even if somebody doesn't say, you know, you shouldn't bother me with that, yeah. or you know we can't do that, or right. you know how important this is, yeah. well, all statements that might create even more fear and doubt about coming forward with legitimate concerns. Uh, but sometimes even the uh, the environment itself right. creates, and I think that may be what we're seeing here. Exactly. And this was illustrated in a separate report over the past uh, week or so of a Boeing simulator pilot who was mm-hmm. flying this new software in a simulator that would later go on the 737 MAX and wrote in an email, well, wait a minute, you know, this thing has got some some issues. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he, he said, I'm, I may be a sucky pilot, his word, or something like that, to that effect, but we really need to address this. Yeah. And so there were signs of this uh, pressure yeah. inside and, and as expressed by this pilot. And, uh, you know, we all do these annual employee surveys, Mike. And yeah. we were talking ahead of, the, of taping today and more and more people are focusing on culture. It's an overused yeah, word. You yeah. know, you'll, you'll hear our guest talk about that today and how he views it, I think, very smartly. But now there's an external benchmark to yeah. talk about internal. Well, what's interesting is so Glassdoor obviously has a lot of people that, you know, go in and comment about a company. And, and those of us in large companies were yeah. have, have been somewhat wary right. in the past because we figure people who go to those sites are complaining right. more than they are, you know, celebrating what a particular company or organization is doing. But what MIT Sloan and Glassdoor did is they hired a a research group to go through and reach out to more than a million. It was 1.2 million people who had posted to Glassdoor. And then trying to get a sense of how those individuals felt uh, along sort of nine cultural mm-hmm. values, and I'll read through them quickly. Agility, collaboration, customer, diversity, execution, innovation, integrity, performance, respect. But the whole notion was, you know, our perceptions as employees about companies is, is sort of forged around these nine areas, and wouldn't it be great to be able to get a deeper look rather than somebody who's just complaining going to Glassdoor of what that looks like. And and this study uh, came out like a a month or two ago, but it is particularly interesting and and, and I think eye-opening. You know, what we learn from this is that, you know, uh, when you and it's got like 500 different companies. The study's called uh, Culture 500. It's done by this group, Culture X, with support from MIT and Glassdoor. And Glassdoor, yeah. And 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 this is um, as we were talking about the ability now to take a look at your own surveys mm-hmm. and compare it to when somebody else is asking the question. Right. And often, you know, you might right. get a different you might get a different answer. Well, and we all know culture matters right. at the end of the day. You know, and, and the study essentially shows that good company cultures tend to lead to better financial performance yeah. as well as higher rates of innovation. It, yeah. And my guess is uh, probably places that have monster issues that are force, forcing people not to raise critical yeah, issues right. probably would rate lower. Yes, and we had uh, Alex Dimitriev 
on our program. And um, he came and talked to our class after he spoke to us. And one of the things he talked about was as a responsibility, both the communicator and in his case, the general counsel, who's the general counsel at GE, is building this culture of open communications yeah. where people feel the, that they can come forward and that they trust you when, they, when you say there's, no, th there's not going to be a retaliation for you raising issues, et cetera. I thought that was a really interesting idea for a general counsel to talk yeah, about. Yeah, well, and if you remember, um, you know, G it was GM had issues yes. around an ignition system yeah. uh, that came public just weeks after Mary Barra became right. the new C CEO there. Yeah. And one of the things that they've done since is they've actually provided incentives right. to employees, financial f incentives even, to come forward if there's a problem right. uh, with the focus that safety is number one. Yeah, exactly. And so, uh, as always, culture follows life, mm -hmm. follows reality. Yeah. I was also reading recently that there are a number of movies and television shows now in the works based on whistleblowers. Ah. Following the whistleblower, of course, in the White House on uh -huh. on some of these issues on the president's phone calls, um, but uh, in your mo local movie theater and on Netflix, et cetera, Amazon, I guess, uh, you'll be seeing a lot of whistleblower dramas coming up, uh, and that's the result of a, you know whistleblowers, the result of a bad culture. So, right. Um, right. so take a listen to Ethan today on on that today. He's he's so smart. Another thing I wanted to talk about was the continuing story around Facebook and. And you and I, I think you had a really good view of this, Mike. We were talking before we came on air, which is Facebook's latest uh, statement. And it was actually a speech by the CEO, Mark Zuckerberg, at Georgetown, Mike's alma mater. And, <laughs> and, and. Oh, yes, accent. Yeah. <laughs> and how they essentially said, we're not going to be in the business of censoring political ads. Yeah. Right. So. Tell, tell our listeners, well, I thought this well, was really well, interesting. Well, it's fascinating to me that they would wrap themselves in the First Amendment. Right. Uh, when, by position, they've been running away from the notion that they're a broadcaster. Right. You know, which would even pull them even closer into yes. that discussion. And instead, they, they've kind of made the argument that they're a utility. Right. So now if you're going out there as a utility and saying, no, really what matters here is the First Amendment, it sounds like they're, they're changing their argument or at yes. least opening them up. It would seem themselves so. Up yes. to, Gee, maybe they are broadcasters. Yes. And, and uh, on the heels of Zuckerberg's speech, which, of course, progressives and liberals, however you want to describe them, criticized widely yeah. um, uh, for the very point that, that you, you raise. Um, there, um, there was a story in the New York Times, and I've read about this recently on other platforms, uh, that the Trump, or the Trump campaign uh -huh. is spending tons of dough uh -huh. on Facebook ads, uh -huh. some of which critics believe uh -huh. are not true. Well, that, that could be true. That, that, that could be the, the same for almost <laughs> any political ad. <laughs> but anyway. Okay. And, and of course, the criticism is uh, of Facebook, which has espoused an idea that they are going to change their ways, is why don't they just not take the political ads in the first place? Yeah. Right? And, and that's been a criticism uh, of Zuckerberg. Although part of the challenge is, is they've not had a system of formal 
review yeah. prior to allowing somebody to post. Yeah. And the way it works operationally is you go ahead and post and then somebody's monitoring and then they make a decision, you know, do we take it down or not? Exactly. Um, and, and, and so that too would be kind of interesting because now if they put themselves in a process of review ahead of time, right. then they're also making themselves open <laughs> to the argument that they're broadcasters. Exactly. Well, and, and conservatives are arguing about what's going on now with, and Trump is spending, he's got yeah. a lot of money and he's spending a lot of it on Facebook, yeah. is, you know, in 2012, I guess would be the year, Obama, you know, the media thought, well, he was a genius for his, his digital strategy, yeah. his social media strategy. Yeah. And now that that Trump has this uh, war chest that he's spending on social media, now it's unfair. A and so I don't know the answer to that, but yeah. this continuing... I mean, we've evolution always evolution of Facebook yeah, is yeah, so fascinating. Yeah. As, as you know, I'm not a big Trump fan, but I mean, I do think that every political season, particularly every fourth year when we have a presidential year in, in the United States, that tends to be a point of innovation around communications, right. to one degree or another. Correct. And and then those of us in in, in the business world uh, then look at that yeah. and analyze it to our own utility later. Right. Um, but. Uh, I mean, uh, the problem here, I don't think, is money. The problem here isn't advertising. The problem here is how do we get to a point where there is review and review in a way that is, is smart and fair. Right, right. Um, on, on one hand, what I think we're trying to avoid is not getting in the business of limiting the First Amendment, but on the other side, what we want to do is we want to avoid the equivalent of yelling fire in a, in a movie yeah, theater. exactly. And, and, and the unfortunate thing is that the internet, because it's quick, because it doesn't have review, uh, because anybody can be anybody. I mean, you can you can create something that's not really you, right? You know, and create fake bots and and so on that entice people to think a different way or push them in a certain direction if they're if they're really trapped into yes. looking at all of this stuff. And so we need to think about. Where's the right balance? Yes. We do need preservation of the First Amendment. And at the same time, um, what we want to do is we want to make sure that uh, what is stated is stated mm -hmm. with clear attribution. Right. Um, sources, know, sources. Sources. Very clear. You know, well, and, and the thing is is, is, is I'd much rather have a candidate uh, be identified with whatever stupid thing they're saying right. than having it done through some other third party that's essentially astroturfing. Yeah, right. Exactly. And look, you know, uh, I've got a certain feelings about this issue, opinions, yeah. but how is it different than the Willie Horton? It's it's a different yeah. medium, yeah. medium, right? right. I mean, the right. Willie Horton ad that ran across the country, George H.W. Bush, uh, an ad that's been largely criticized, roundly criticized. So the the medium has changed, yeah. but as you say, 
You can say this about almost every political. <laughs> you know, I mean, we can go back to 19th century, yeah. you know, political campaigns, right. where where you know, literally, the people were taking each other down. I mean, there famously was one uh, presidential candidate uh, who somebody somebody tossed a head of lettuce onto the stage because oh, right. he was upset about the guy's speech, and he said, "Oh, I guess my I guess my opponent has lost his head." <laughs> and of course, duels were fought and, and all of that. Here Here's what I would say, though. Here's my opinion. Facebook has said it wants to rebuild trust with people. Yeah, yeah. And and I don't know what they make on the political ads Uh and what they make in other areas. I might consider not doing political ads this this time through. Just to show that um, we understand Uh why people distrust us, Uh given everything that's happened over the past few years, and until we can figure this out uh-huh. or until uh, we redefine who we are and what this idea of community really means, uh-huh. whether we are a, platf- a media platform or, or not, I, I, I might I, I can see some advocacy for that on my part inside Facebook if I were there right now. Yeah. So anyway, listen, you and I in the studio here um, with our, our great graduate assistant student, Jess Knight, who's a- across the working the board for us today. We were practicing our moonwalk here this morning in the studio <laughs> because it was a great weekend for walking backwards. And why don't you take it? Yeah, right? well, you know, first of all, you know, I think in an earlier show or episode, we lamented the fact that the White House had kind of done away with the daily news briefing. Right, right. And in fact, the last White House news briefing yeah. was back on March 11th. Wow. You know, March 11th, 2019. Yeah. And uh, so now we get a news briefing uh, led by the interim White House chief of staff acting, and, and yeah. he's acting. He's yeah. been acting for like nine months. And uh, Mick Mulvaney, yeah. who actually was the congressman in the district that I have a home in in South oh, Carolina. Here we go again. OK, go ahead. <laughs> but anyway, it, he has this this press conference. And during the press conference, he states that actually the White House did withhold aid from Ukraine in yet another matter. Right. You know, in order to uh, hopefully at that point get the Ukrainians to look into investigating, uh, I guess, Democrats. Democrats. uh, From the 2016 election. Great. And... uh, and and, 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 and and Mulvaney even got pressed as isn't this quid pro quo? And he said, and, and, and you know, and his response was that there's no problem right. with this. This is what's done. Yeah. In fact, he, he says, uh, I have news for everybody. Get over it. You know, there's going to be a political influence in foreign policy. Elections have consequences. Right. And, and what's also interesting on top of it, you know, clearly the president initially loved that so much. Yes. That T-shirts were created and they're still <laughs> online. You can still go to the campaign website and, and look at and buy a T-shirt that says get over it. And over it actually has like the wig of, uh, of, Trump. The, of Trump on, <laughs> on the O. So they're even making fun of themselves. Uh, but, you know, this isn't about a $30 T-shirt. You're right. You know, this is. Well, they uh, came out later and said. They, they, the same day, later in the day, came out and say, you know, we're walking this back. Right. And the, the interesting thing for me is even the phrase, walking it back, yeah, yeah. Uh, because I think 
the phrase historically goes back to horse racing, actually. Oh, is that right? Yeah, where they couldn't get the horse, you know, ah. ready for the gate, they yeah. would, and they you'd have to walk it back ah. in order to get it stabilized okay. and calmed to get back in the gate. Wow! And uh, but there's no getting back in the gate here. Not these you know, days. It, yeah. I, I mean, you know, again, proverbially, yeah. you know, the, the horse has left the barn. <laughs> you know, and, and, and in this case, what's also interesting is there's denial of even what was said right. by Mulvaney. I mean, so. Press conference on Thursday, statement from staff late Thursday that that's not what he said. That's not what he meant to say. We're walking it back. He's walking it back to Sunday interviews where there are complete denials that he even said it. And yet it's sitting there on news videotape. Well, on Chris Wallace on Fox, as Mulvaney is sitting there as a guest, he says, I don't say it. That's what others said I said. And then, of course, Wallace plays the tape and says, of course, you said it. Right. And so, uh, you know, it's just in we're talking in these days of uh, everything is on record forever. It's on your permanent record. There is no walking back. Right. 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 I mean, you could honestly make a mistake. Yes, exactly. There there could be something that's inferred from something you say. Yeah. And and then you might go back to a a reporter or you might go ahead and say, you know, I misspoke. Right. And and I apologize. Right. And this is what I meant to say. Or this is what I thought I heard. And that's what I was responding to. That's not what happened here. Now, the the curious thing about this in in the whole walking back schema. Now, what was the press conference about? It was about holding the G7 at Trump's resort in Florida. Yeah, at Trump National Doral Resort. Right. You know, and and, and, and what's happened since then? He's moonwalked back. They've <laughs> walked it back. There you go. Well, you know, and I have to say, the the, the details that I read is um, that Mulvaney walked off the podium on Thursday and said to the White House communications director, Stephanie Grisham, I think is her name, how did I do? And she immediately said, well, there's a couple things we're going to have to walk back, <laughs> <laughs> which is the, you know, I give her credit for saying yeah, that, yeah, right? yeah. you know, but, uh, you know, it's the worst thing you want to say when you walk or hear when you walk away from a podium is like, oh, shit. Right. So. Yeah. So uh, anyway, it, it's the idea that you can walk back these days um, is probably true only if you're a Michael Jackson impersonator. There so, you go. Uh, there you go. So let's go now to our, our interview with Ethan McCarty and and a uh, real smart guy, and, and uh, I think you're really going to enjoy it. Hello, and welcome to The Crux. Uh, this is Gary Sheffer. I'm here with my partner, Mike Fernandez, again. Good morning. In the luxurious studios um, here at Boston University with our student assistants, Kenneth and Jess. And we have a terrific guest today. Uh, Ethan McCarty is uh, an emerging and really respected leader in our field of communications. He's the CEO of Integral Communications Group. Uh, They focus on employee communications. And I think you're really going to like to hear Ethan's approach to what, you know, we call employee engagement these days, what many phrases for it. But uh, I think CCOs particularly, and those like myself who've had a background in external communications, and, and you know, you come in to uh, communicate with these big organizations. I think you're going to like uh, what Ethan has to say. So we'll dig into that. 
Ethan has a, you know, for a young guy, compared to Mike and I, he's got <laughs> a uh, really impressive background. He was director of strategic consulting for IBM's marketing and communications lab, uh, global director of IBM social strategy and programs, uh, a bunch of things that uh, he really um, uh, changed uh, how they look at social at, at IBM, which is no small task. He's been in journalism, and today uh, I'm glad to see he lectures on digital media and analytics uh, and employee engagement at Columbia University and their master's, their strategic communications program. So, Ethan, welcome to The Crux. Thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure. So, listen, let's j- jump right into it. Um, your agency focuses on employee activation. Uh, it's a phrase we hear a lot these days. and I, So I have two questions for you on that. What does that mean? And do you find that employees really want to be activated? <laughs> so you're asking the right questions. And the, the issue is, is I was struggling to come up with a better term than internal communications because sure. internal communications is so ill-suited for the reality that we're, uh, that we're currently inhabiting. And uh, for two reasons. There is nothing internal about it, and communications doesn't seem to be the meat of the matter. It's much more around a group of people for whom there are specific needs uh, that have to be met in order to uh, provide business value and to provide you know, meaningful you know, work for people and uh, experiences that are compelling, and uh, the behaviors. And the behaviors that I look at uh, could kind of broadly be described as um, activation rather than communication. And I mm-hmm. think... Um, that's why I've chosen this term. And I think that even the term employee is kind of fraught um, yeah. because there's, you know, we can talk a bit about the trends in employment and the sort of the relationship between organizations and their people. But that's that's kind of the working term. And then activation, um, you know, I think that's that's kind of, for me, it's the most general way to describe what needs to happen here. Um, and so, you know, when, when it comes to whether or not employees want to be activated, I think that the answer is that employees already are activated. So yeah. The people of your organization are taking action one way or another, either on behalf of your organization, um, you know, as, uh, you know, salespeople or the people who make your product or the people who support it or, you know, the people who administer the functions of the company um, and certainly in the public sphere. Um, and so, you know, we, we constantly say, like our sort of mantra at Integral is that employees are your first public. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, it's really Terrific. the, you know, the question is whether or not you want to have a hand in uh, shaping and improving their experience or not. And, of course, you do. I think so. <laughs> <Right>? I mean, <laughs> you know. The answer is yes. I, mean, I certainly hope so. <laughs> I certainly hope so. And, I, you know, I, I think there's, um, there's definitely a role for the folks who are in our profession and of communications to play here. Oh, totally. And, um, and I would, you know, I advocate very hard. For, uh, for my clients to uh, try to be as upstream in that process as possible. Um, otherwise, you're internal communication. So all this activity has happened, decisions have been made, programs have been deployed, and then you're going to you know, sort of, I don't know, post the, the note on the internet. And I think um, while that's a valued activity on, on you know, like, you, like we do need to disseminate yeah. you know, information through information systems, um, I think, you know, given the 20 years I've spent, you know, at IBM and Bloomberg and the time with my clients um, over the last couple of years, you know, it's it, like I, the communicators that I know have a lot of great ideas and a lot to offer um, beyond um, sort of simply generating awareness after the fact. Right. 
Yeah, and, and it's interesting. You, you've, you you stated yourself you've you've made this transition after many years uh, working in 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 house. Uh, what's that transition like? Uh, going now to running your own firm and uh, put it in the context of maybe what your past brings to your present. Yeah, well, thanks for that, Mike. I, I think, um, I mean, first of all, when I when I left the organization that I was working at, Bloomberg, it was not an easy decision. I loved my boss there. Mm-hmm. My team was great. We were doing, I think, very innovative and interesting things. I just had been having this kind of conversation again and again about some of these ideas that we've been putting into play uh, at IBM and at Bloomberg around this concept of kind of changing the modality of work for a communicate, you know, for an employee focused uh, communications team. And, you know, I kept on having these conversations with folks. It was like, oh, can you come talk with my team? And can you mm-hmm. share this idea? And like, show us what you're doing over at Bloomberg at IBM. You know, what's this, you know, employee, you know, social media strategy stuff. And um, it was just kind of, it had to happen. I mean, like, I, it was like, I was so excited about that. Interesting. And while um, IBM and Bloomberg are terrific platforms because of the openness to innovation in those organizations and the size of the organizations, um, there's nothing that beats the kind of um, entirety of the marketplace that you get to operate in, you know, when you run your own agency. And I think probably for me, the, I mean, the the sort of hardest turn, um, you know, after spending 20 years, you know, inside of mm-hmm. organizations, is to go from this mode of being like the gatherer and protector of work and responsibility, mm-hmm. which is which operates at a little bit of a slower pace. Even yeah. at fast, I mean, like IBM and Bloomberg are fast-paced. Yes, cultures. absolutely. But you know, uh, but then you know, to be uh, running my own agency and be an entrepreneur, you're kind of more in this hunter-builder mode, <laughs> uh, which is faster. Pace. Great way and, to put you know, it. I'm just I'm, and very I'm existential. That a lot. <laughs> yeah, very yeah. existential. <laughs> yeah, it's like every deal is like you know, live or die, uh, which is different. Yeah, from internal, where you know, when you're inside of a company. If the you know if the cherry assignment goes to you know some other department, it may be a, a bruise for you, but you still might get to play on it. Um, right. Whereas you know in in uh, in the agency world, if it goes to a different agency, you're you're not on <laughs> you know you're not on the team. So that's a new for me as a as a leader of people. That's a new sort of challenge um, that I've I've quite enjoyed so far. Granted, I'm only I'm only I'm less than two years into it, so maybe maybe I'll find that it's uh, it's not my thing. But so far, it's. It's real. I've never been more engaged in my life. It's really been terrific. Excellent. Good. It's nice to have CEO on the card too, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, the, the best was when I when I uh, started the agency. I made this card that said CEO, and it was like CEO of me and this pizza right here. But I mean, that was, <laughs> we've, we've come along a bit. And my dog. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. CEO of me and this uh, this one cubicle in a WeWork, right? <laughs> Now, what I'd like to do is take you on a little bit of a, of a definitional tour for us. Uh, you, you talked a little bit about employee activation, but when we go to Integral's website, uh, you talk about three areas that you identify as to you know what you do as a firm. And, and, yeah. and, and kind of that first tab, it says, employee communications, we deliver big ideas, our best-in-class internal communication plans, campaigns, content strategy, go beyond words on a page to inspire employees' behavior change. Let's just talk about that one. Um, and what is it that you mean by big ideas in the employee communication space? And what are what's like... 
I mean, you put a lot in that one sentence. Mm-hmm. I mean, I see content strategy, which sort of uh, jumps out at you. And then I also see the words mm-hmm, behavior mm-hmm. change. So what does your firm do to help, you know, the likes of a company? Like if you were working for a retail company mm-hmm. that's very much concerned about, uh, you know, being taken out by Amazon, or you're going into a company that's faced with lots of external challenges, how does this get played out any differently in those two types of environments. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for that. I think, you know, the at the end of the day, you know, all of these emergent areas that we were just discussing, employee activation and some of the things I, I suspect we're going to talk about in, in a minute mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. Um, digital transformation and so on, mm-hmm. they are not in opposition. Like, I don't think it's like, oh, yeah, we got to throw out the old and like only innovative new brand new things can, mm-hmm. you know, can survive. You know, the most, um, I mean, if you look at history, the, the most enduring revolutions actually co-opt the prior sort of reality <laughs> rather than discard yeah, it. And, right. and so, you know, and I think that's what, I mean, that's what we're talking about here. There's a, you know, I don't have antipathy for people who practice internal communication. Quite mm-hmm. the contrary, um, I think that the, uh, the quote-unquote traditional practice of internal communications have to take on some new traditions. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, yeah, content strategy, but maybe the content strategy is um, much more highly informed by um, HR data, like attrition mm-hmm. or attraction. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, it may be um, much more informed by, in your retail example, mm-hmm. um, you know, the, the time a customer spends in a location. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you tie then your content strategy to some of those business outcomes and those uh, you know, driven by you know the insights that you would be uh, that you would seek at a, that we would seek at a, a beginning of an engagement. Um, it's a very very different approach than saying uh, our um, internal communications team their primary output is awareness, yeah. um, which is too often the case. You know, so the inbound requests, many of our clients, the the inbound requests that they get are we'd love to ge- you know we'd love to generate awareness of this new product or this mm-hmm. team's major victory or whatever. And our advice is to say, okay, let's start with the uh, the desired set of behaviors from this group right. of people we're calling employees, and work back from there. What are the insights that might um, animate a really exciting campaign? Um, where might we meet these people with, um, you know, if it is going to be content or if it is going to be some um, intervention with, uh, say, a, a manager or an executive um, and their presence. Um, how can we work back from the behavior change as opposed to how can we work back from content consumption, mm-hmm. which is kind of where the tradition has, has landed. It's always been, totally. Yeah, yeah it's, you have to begin yeah. with the end in mind, right? Yeah. Absolutely, and, and I say this, you know, again, as somebody who's run one of the world's largest intranets, you know, and I, mm-hmm. I totally get that. Former, you know, I was formerly a journalist. I love content. I love telling a good story. So it's, it's not to dump on that at all. It's just to say that if the business outcome has to do with the behavioral change of a bunch of people, mm-hmm. Um, that is quite different than, you know, I mean, it's like just, I mean, how many internets do you know sell ads on the page? Like right. none, right? right. <laughs> so content consumption is probably not a business outcome for most folks. Right, right. So so then the second the, the second item is digital transformation. And you talk about optimizing uh, digital experiences, uh, getting your internally facing digital tools and platforms fit for purpose, uh, and that it means reducing complexity so employee voices can be heard. Uh, talk a little bit about that. You know, the, the new, let's say, interface to work isn't necessarily about content. So, you know, when I, you know, as a modern employee, when I come to work, my expectations are 
I mean, first of all, they're higher in terms of the consumer level or the, the friendliness of interfaces and the level of beauty and design and ease of use than ever before. They're more likely than not to be mobile. Um, they're more likely than not to be transactional, mm -hmm. um, so I can actually get stuff done in whatever mm -hmm. digital context you give me. And they're more likely to be porous, meaning, you know, I might have some network portability. Like, you know, if I'm connected with people who I like to work with on Slack and I'm working with this organization and then I go work with another organization later, I won't be able to take that network with me. Mm -hmm. um, and this is just, I mean, we're gonna, I think we're going to talk about this later, but this is just, you know, one dimension, the kind of tools and the digital experience mm -hmm. that one has with work that's changing so radically. Um, and accommodating that is, um, you know, it's, it's tricky uh, for, you know, particularly for teams who have been in a mode where most of their tool set has been designed around, um, you know, really kind of two concepts like delivering content to people who we can interrupt at will. Um, and that is, um, you know, it's just very, it's very different. <laughs> you know, yeah, it's like also annoying. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, how can we like interrupt your workflow with this message from, you know, corporate? And that's just, pro you know, that's probably not, um, you know, the winning strategy um, in, you know, given how much uh, organizations are transforming their business models digitally um, and how much consumer experience is, is transforming. And, and I would say, you know, I'm, I'm sure you all have read um, the work on the Comtech stack yeah. uh, from Page Society. I mean, I think it's, it's great work. And it kind of just, uh, to me, it chips at the surface. You know, this idea yeah. of, yes. you know, it's a start. applying content marketing mm -hmm. principle to communications, I think, is a very important insight. But I think, and then, you know, the concomitant skill set mm -hmm. is agile, right? Yeah. Yeah. How but much I think there's also, if I may, there's, yeah. there's also this idea of, um, you know, there are a lot of other kind of technological dimensions with concomitant skill sets that comm team need that comm teams need to adopt. Mm -hmm. And so we advise some of our clients on things like, all right, well, if you're going to do, if you want to do some visualization, you might need these tools, and the concomitant skill would be business intelligence, right? Or if you want to do experience design, the concomitant skill might be facilitation or design thinking. Right. Or if you want to do, you know, sort of uh, CRM, you know, with your, you know, your journalists and internal influencers, you might be thinking about influence management. Right. Or if you want to do surveys and insight gathering, you know, you might be thinking about, um, you know, you might be thinking about some uh, statistical understanding or, or insight, um, you know, so the skills you would need to interpret those. So, so the context stack is, is a big part of what's happening, I think, um, within teams. Really and smart. overall idea of Really. digital transformation happening at companies. Yeah, we often, we often talk about digital, you know, digital experience and tools, and, and, and we, we often don't match it up with skills, yeah. I think, in the profession. You know, and maybe it's where we are as a profession. Maybe we need to learn the, the, the nuts and bolts of the tools first before we can begin to really think about the deep digital skills that we might need that complement the tools. Yeah, and I think one of the things that you're bringing up that is very important is this notion that you have to think about the architecture that you need to accomplish, you know, mm -hmm. what you're right. going to do to move that audience. Exactly. And I and I'd be yeah. and I'd be interested in in thinking about that and thinking about the the types of people that you need to operate a truly digital experience internally. One, to, to what extent is that prompted by what our employees are already seeing, using, and working with outside the walls of the corporation, 
right? Because mm-hmm. to a certain extent, that's driving their own personal behaviors and likes and dislikes in this realm. But, you know, is there a need to have somebody thinking about uh, community building inside? Is there a need to have somebody really focused even around market research inside? Is there a, a need to, uh, you know, use some of these off-the-shelf tools like Yammer inside? Mm-hmm. I was, you know, I, 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 think you're, <laughs> I think you're right on the right point there, Mike. Uh, it, and the consumerization of the enterprise technology stack is like that that's happened um look how slack has sold into every organization yes. in the world i mean they, they basically did a freemium model and you know I, without naming names I, we have a client who um realized uh after they had already spent a quarter of a million dollars with a certain software vendor <laughs> that the software vendor had figured out what the um the no receipt level is on a um on a purchase for their wow. Amex, their corporate Amex card. Yeah, and it's like yeah. I don't remember what the details are, but it's like it was like seventy five dollars. So they priced the annual subscription at seventy four ninety nine, and it was like <laughs> a total end run around the CTO, you know, and around the CFO, and like the, all the processes to procure enterprise software. So while that's you know that's probably you know that's not a long good long term strategy for software sales. I mean, certainly they'll get tossed out on their butt. Mm-hmm. However. I mean, that's how your teams are. That's how when your teams see the need, they're going to go. They're going to go Google Make it whatever work. the heck they need and yeah. go get it. Yeah. yeah, exactly. That's interesting. So, organizational culture—that's kind of the the other piece, and it's certainly something that has been talked a lot, you know, amongst our, our buddies at uh, at Page. But there, yeah, you yeah. say, you know, we build employee movements, which is interesting too, just in the context of what employees are doing on their own. Right, exactly. They're already moving. They're already (laughs) moving, sometimes in ways we we, we don't plan for. Uh, You know, when there are walkouts at Google, walkouts at Wayfair, even walkouts inside agencies. We've talked about Edelman and Ogilvy. Totally. And kind of reactions uh, to political behaviors of companies. Uh, So help us out here in terms of how do you help uh, navigate change in a way that develops this notion of, of an employee movement that truly inspires and empowers em- employees uh, uh, to give us their best work as well as to, uh, I, I remember the old term that they used to use, I never much liked it, but be ambassadors. Yeah, right, exactly. You know? mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so, so talk a little bit they about They may be that. ambassadors for the wrong thing, by That's the way. True. That's true. <laughs> yeah. So, 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 so talk, us, talk to true. us a little bit about the work you're doing, your team is doing around organizational culture. Yeah, and I'd say ambassadors are taking a pretty bum rap in the in the news right now. So <laughs> maybe that's not the best. <laughs> that's, that's maybe not the best term. Um so I think I mean this is this is um, I, I don't think there's a there's kind of a salve or a silver bullet to mm-hmm. somehow you know quell the conscience of employees and make them somehow you know okay with the misdeeds of an organization. I mean that that's I think a, a totally separate conversation. But mm-hmm. I will say the insight here is that um, it goes back to this idea of internal versus external versus what is that really you know what what's it really to gain by trying to slap those to descriptors on your communications um, capability. Employees uh, are talking um, and interacting with and forming the um, perception of the company in the public sphere every day. And um, your your culture within your organization 
is more linked, more tightly bound to your brand and customer choices and, you know, whether or not, you know, a, your, the news cycle is going to be favorable to you than ever before. I mean, yeah. it, you don't have mm-hmm. to go far to find, um, you know, employees, even just passively, uh, you know, just even comments on LinkedIn about things they like or they don't like or, in, you know, whatever, you know, to say nothing of things like, you know, Glassdoor and the many other, um, you know, the many other sites where people can talk uh, let's they, say anonymously about what it's like inside of an organization. That's right. And so our point of view here is, is, to, is to manage culture, not just as some kind of internal asset, but to be thinking about it as tightly bound to um, to what the brand is like and, uh, you know, how the brand is experienced and how the reputation of the company manifests in the public sphere. And, and, and including and so, how it's experienced yeah, by, by the employees themselves, right? Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. I mean, that is so important. Yeah, yeah. And, and the, the, um, the kind of effect that has on your ability to keep the, you know, the best people and not just keep them, but keep them excited about being there um, and feeling like there's, um, some overlap between what the company is about and what theirs about. I mean, that's why I named the. I like literally came up with the name for Integral like in the middle of the night. It, it came to me, <laughs> and because it comes, it comes to the uh, comes from the word integrity, which is not just about like having good ethics. Right. But integrity means wholeness. Right. And you know, like the theory that I have that I, it's not even a theory. I've just seen it in my experience that the the more uh, concentric the circle is of your. Sort of personal self-conception and the organizations with which you associate mm-hmm. the more productive and meaningful your life sure, is. yes and that and that just accrues to the benefit of the organization so if we can um you know start to build programs and sometimes that should be slow moving and this is how culture works um that uh really take a deep understanding of who our people are and use that as the point of departure for our culture work, as opposed to who we would like them to be. To be, exactly. Uh, it's, a, it's a very, That's... very different, um, you know, it's a very different <laughs> opportunity set that presents itself. Let's for say. a guy like me who started in the corporate world in the 90s, wow. Yeah. You know, this was, you know, you came in <laughs> and you got stamped or you got your yeah. tattoo on your butt, right? You know, of the GE logo, right? Yeah. Well, and in part, it's, yeah. the, it's the full realization of what we even teach here of uh, the, the Grunig uh, fourth model of public relations, yeah, yeah. right? The two-way symmetrical uh, model. Exactly. Where you're, you're, you're listening and there's sort of an iterative back and forth. Right. It's not sort of one way, this is how it should be. Right. I just want to say one last thing about, uh, about uh, culture and getting stamped and all that. I mean, like I started at IBM, you know, 20, I guess almost 20 years ago. And I'll tell you that I, you know, I came from a little startup and I had a, you know, very visceral reaction to what the culture was like there. Mm -hmm. And some of it was positive and some of it was negative. Mm -hmm. Um, But ultimately, it was an organization that allowed me to um, sort of internalize some of the best bits and be really proud of them without having to completely sublimate. I mean, there's, you know, stuff you bring to work and stuff that you don't. But, um, you know, what I would say about that is, I don't think it's, you know, it's not like, uh, let's take a vote on what our culture is going to be. But it's more like, let's be realistic about what our culture is going to be. Because actually, it's, you know, all of these people have an agency of their own. Mm -hmm. And so starting from an observation about what is the best characteristics, as opposed to, um, you know, we have a predefined thing that you have to conform to. It's, that's probably in a world where labor and where you know the best of the labor market is so transient. Right. Probably a better strategy, you know. 
That's so so smart. So let's take this construct we just talked about and and sort of put it into practice. And I'm going to cite a terrific piece you wrote for recently for the Institute for Public Relations on uh, the decline, not the end, of linear storytelling and the shift to creating experiences uh, in your content. And you, you wrote in that piece, in our world of digital experiences, linear narratives no longer bring in the crowds, much less compel them to action. So can you explain what you mean, Ethan? I think this is really smart, the difference between a linear sort of narrative storytelling and creating experiences for the people who are around you in your workplace. Here's the thing. Is I'm, I'm a big fan of the, you know, Aristotelian plot arc and beginning, middle, end, you know, yeah, yeah. Mom, <laughs> middle. Like, it's, uh, like, don't get me wrong. I, you know, I, I love that. and it's, it's great. And, I you know, the science is, is in. It's very clear. We're hardwired to recognize that pattern. And yep. it makes a lot, it's very helpful in sense making. So, so I chose decline rather than, you know, it's the end of, it's the end of the story. Um, because it's, it's not, and I think that that's, that's going to be around till the sun goes supernova. That said, the, you know, we've invented this thing called digital um, that is the new reality. And, I mean, going back to, um, you know, even, you know, my early days as a journalist, I remember writing a story um, in, the 19, in, the, in the late 1990s. I was writing for a, um, for a web-based um, consumer, kind of like a consumer reports for consumer mm-hmm. electronics uh, website. And I decided to write the story. I can't remember what it was about a review of headphones or something, but I hyperlinked every other word in the article. <laughs> like, every, like every word that was like a noun or a verb. Had a Didn't want to miss anything. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and it was like this article that was just like a headphone review or something became this like incredible choose your own adventure, you know, experience. <laughs> and, um, and, you know, I think that's, that's kind of the new reality. And that's 20 years ago, you know, so it's not like this is like a totally new thing. And you see it in all kinds of interesting communications plays. I mean, everything from, you know, our, you know, our rather commonplace use of hashtags where, yep. you know, if you click a hashtag, um, you're suddenly taken out of the narrative of somebody's tweet or Instagram post, which is somewhat linear, um, into this world that, like, sort of assembles around your interest. Um, it's, and, you know, you see it in, also in popular media. I think I cited the, the, the Bandersnatch, which is the latest kind of, um, instantiation of right. a um, choose your own adventure. It's that great Netflix thing where you kind of choose these choices for the protagonist, and each time you experience that piece of media, it sort of assembles around your interests, needs, and so on. And um, and I think the the savvy communicator is going to look for opportunities to create, whether it's for employees or for the public um, outside. I mean, the employees the employees are public, but. Um, for the non-employees, other stakeholders, uh, experiences where they kind of assemble around the, you know, whoever it is you're trying to reach and, you know, meet them where they are in yeah. an interesting and engaging way. Wait, so give me, an, give me an example of an experience. There's, uh, there's a company you, you may or may not know. They're called uh, PVH. I'm a big fan of them. They own um, some brands that I really like. Uh, Calvin Klein and Tommy Hilfiger and Tito okay. and yep. um, I'm I'm friendly with their um, head of communications, Stephen Jernstead, who I think is just I mean she's just oh, yeah. really innovative and yeah Smart. she's really innovative and interesting. Um, and um, she started I, I mean there's a lot of different companies that have done hashtag campaigns, but you just have to check out the work that she and her team have undertaken around um, this hashtag, the power of CBH, and they have 
somehow, I mean, like they've done a lot of internal promotion of it. They've built it into their, um, even like when they're onboarding employees, whether you're an executive or you're on the, on the floor of a retail location or you're going to be a designer or whatever, wherever you are in your organization, um, you get this idea of like, oh, you're joining something that's bigger than all of us and bigger right. than any of our brands. And they've done some very, I think, smart and strategic outreach to selected employees and enabled them with, you know, certain experiences and content. And if you go and click on that, you can see, like, just by scrolling through, I mean, like, take a look at Instagram, for example, you can see just really beautiful work. And, you know, the employees are very interested in um, and activated by and motivated by things like, um, you know, improving the environment. Um, uh, the rights of LGBTQ people, um, you know, things like, um, you know, the, the, uh, the beauty of designing for people with different abilities. And it's, I mean, it's really, it's fascinating and it's, and it's amazing. And it's, I think it brings together several of the concepts that we've, um, talked about already today where it's like, okay, well, these, listen to who your people are. The people in this industry who have chosen to come work in this industry have some interest. Mm-hmm. And here's the ones that align with what the corporate interests are. And then mm-hmm. here's a way to activate it. Put in it a all way together. That isn't like, yeah. yeah, and it isn't like a story or a book or a movie or a video. So some of those things end up being things that get shared. Um, at any rate, I, I think that's a really, it's a really nice example. to take a look. It sounds great. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, it sounds interesting. You know, we've talked a lot about on this podcast um, uh, about employee activism um, even before talking uh, with you today, Ethan. And we're seeing increasingly employees being interested in a lot of uh, social issues. We mentioned earlier Wayfair and Google, uh, but it was it was true, you know, IBM some time ago when uh, the CEO was sitting on a commission, mm-hmm. you know, for President mm-hmm. Trump. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, what is all of this a sign of, and and culturally both in society and inside these organizations, and how should organizations begin to think about this kind of employee activism? Do they try to head it off at the past? Do they try and say no? How do they how do they create the pathway for employees to express themselves and still keep everybody on the same page? There's such a change uh, underway right now. I mean, the the relationship between uh, you know sort of workplaces and the people who work within them. Um, I don't know if it's if it's encountered such a radical change since the end of the Second World War, um, or maybe even maybe even a hundred years ago, or you know earlier, like in the uh, sort of industrialization. The 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 power blend. Who has the decision-making power in the agency <laughs> is, I think, really up for grabs in a way that hasn't been for a long time. I mean, you have, um, you know, historically, it's like we've got the jobs, and if you want them, do what we tell you. Yeah, exactly. Um, and now, I mean, now it's like you know, the access to information has been flattened. I mean, like you mm-hmm. know, you, you used to join an organization so you could get like decent information about the market, so you might be able to sell something or do something, you know. Now it's like, oh, you just Google that. Everybody has access to it for, you know, yeah. almost zero cost of admission. Um, access to capital has changed. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like if you had a great idea and you wanted to bring it to market, you either had to have, um, you know, kind of inherited wealth mm-hmm. or be able to issue a bond or a stock. Mm-hmm. And um, that's just no longer the case. I mean, you look at the crowdsourcing. I mean, there's there's 20 different places where you can raise capital, capital these days yeah. from a global market without any, you know, you know, institutional backing. 
Um, networks, that's been a major change. It used to be, again, you had to, you know, if you wanted the great Rolodex and connection, I can tell you, I, one of the reasons why I wanted to come to, you know, a Bloomberg or an IBM was like, wow, look at the people I get to access. And now, I mean, I mean, that's still the case. Mm-hmm. And most uh, professionals, certainly sort of knowledge workers, and, and you know, the, the most valuable network that they have are an open network, whether they exist on LinkedIn or Slack or, you know, other sort of open network. Yep. Um, and then two other ones, infrastructure. Infra- I mean, like, you know, if you wanted to do great work, you had to bring, you know, you need the infrastructure. I, I can tell you, I mean, I started this company, you know, basically in a day on a credit card. You know, we have like a very, very good scalable infrastructure, everything from marketing to office space to health insurance, all those things. And then last but not least, training. You know, the, you know, the ability to get trained and to acquire skills you know, when I started, you know, again, 20 years ago at IBM, my first trip was like up to the IBM Learning Center. And like, you know, I sat in a classroom and, you know, yep. it was like enculturated and got the lowdown on my benefits and all kinds of stuff. And it was great. And I kept going back there for years and, and getting that training. But now I mean, going to lynda.com in a second and get all, you know, this, the acquisition of skill is now decoupled from employment from as your well. Workplace, and so, yeah. It, exactly. And I, so I think that that environment, whether or not, and I'm not saying like, oh, people are going to jump into the gig economy and give up all their security. No, it's, that's not what I'm saying. It's, it's that environment has to inform our approach to a labor market that has more agency than ever. The best people can take their marbles yeah. and go whenever. And I, so I thought you, you that said that. We have, to, we, have to change our, we have to change our sensitivity to their even political needs. That's right. Yeah. And, and you said it before, which I think is a great observation. This is happening at the top end of the talent pool. Yeah. Which should scare ev- right every employer yeah. who's in a war for talent. This activation, this agency, that's where it's happening the most. Well, and it's also, yeah. I think, been ab- abetted by changes in benefits packages. Yes. You know, no more mm-hmm. pensions. Right. Uh, you know, companies used to talk about oh. loyalty. Yeah. Of, uh, you know, they expected a loyalty of their employees. It's hard for employees to expect loyalty uh, when they can't expect loyalty sometimes from those organizations. Exactly. Exactly. Well, I, Ethan, I couldn't agree more. Ethan, those, are, gr- those are macroeconomic shifts that you can't ignore, you right. know. And the decline in organized labor, too, in the U.S. anyway, oh, totally. I think will be an interesting. I don't know what the wild card is there, but it's, it's like that is going to play out as well. You know, Does some of this digital sort of, does that make up for it in some way? Does that, I mean, certainly you're seeing people use, you know, it's like these companies, Microsoft, Google, and so on, they deployed all of these collaboration tools. And then it's like, well, we wanted you to collaborate. We didn't want you to organize. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Stop when you get to organize. Yeah, so yeah, I'm, yeah. Suddenly the, the 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 Yammer site is being used for some other purpose. You know? <laughs> so I'm going to ask you a question and try not to get you in trouble. Um, okay. So so uh, you know, look, when I started back in GE in the you know <laughs> 1990s. Uh, it was, you know, employee communications was sort of a sleepy area, and, and look, every it was just a generational thing. It it, it wasn't a uh, statement of value because I I think uh, executives didn't know what they didn't know about mm-hmm. how they could work with their uh, communications team to drive common purpose, et cetera. But I want to s- jump to today. In your experience, do CEOs, you know, chief human resource officers? Are they aware of all of this, um, Ethan? In other words, you know, this environment we just talked about, the changes we're seeing technologically, and do they know what they need 
from quote-unquote employee communications? Yeah, I think they're aware of the need. I wish I, I wish I could say they're turning as fully and often to the communications team to satisfy the need. Yeah. And, yeah, and I think that came through, I mean, it comes through my personal experience with the uh, um, the CEOs and the CHROs yeah, of mine the firms well. that we work with, yep. but um, but yeah, I think I, you know, and it also comes through in the in the in the work that um, that John Awada did with Paige and yes. Mike Wing, um, you know, where they spoke with hundreds of CEOs, yeah, right, and um, you know, if I forgive me if I if I um, misquote it, but it, it's in the ballpark of you know the number one thing that they're worried about is can the culture. Um, of this organization adapt quickly enough to accommodate the level of disruption in the marketplace. Totally. Exactly and, right. Yeah. I agree yeah, completely. Yeah. That's and how so they interpret they it. know what they need. Yeah, they know what they need. I don't know if they always go to, you know, the internal comms team because historically internal comms has been, you know, sort of downstream in um, a lot of uh, culture change organizations I, or culture change within organizations. I will say, as I said earlier in this, uh, conversation. I advocate hard um, for our clients to um, be in the game, right? Um, because you know, communications shapes so much of what the experience is, oh. and you know, cultures change over very long time periods. But they, they're ultimately, and now I'm going to, you know, sort of, um, uh, you know, misquote Ed Shine, but like, you know, cultures are basically the way, uh, you know, when people figure out hard stuff together a bunch. And then it becomes the normal way people figure that stuff out. And it becomes useful enough that they teach it to the next generation of people coming in. Right. I mean, that's kind of what culture is. It totally. And if you think about that, so much of that has to do with communication. And, um, you know, I will say that probably half of the work that we're doing, maybe more right now, ends up being either sponsored by the CHRO or a joint venture between yes. the CHRO and CCO, and it's it's actually a triumvirate because it's a CMO too, and so we're you know we're increasingly having these conversations where the client for us is concerned about brand, they're concerned about you know sort of what the message is, and then they're concerned about like how it's going to get you know how it's going to manifest as culture, and that's that would that's what drove you know the the three categories that we you know we talked about earlier, right? And you know we're in the room a lot with people who are like, all right, well the working team for this issue to meet the CEO's desire is, um, you know, a blend of, uh, well, that's good. Comms, HR. That's a great sign. Yeah. It, that's the way it should be. Yeah. So, so do, yeah, I think so. Do, think so, do you yeah. think this is, you know, we've, we've talked about sort of this empowerment of employee engagement or this emergence and is you're right, you're right in the page report that just came out the thought leadership, you know, this is what CEOs say they want. They don't may not know specifically what should be done, but again, you know that's the job of a CEO to sort of set the vision. Right, and we hear yeah, no, deal with ambiguity. Right, you know, <laughs> and, and, big bucks. Uh, yeah, right, and, and um, so there's a lot of talk about culture these days, purpose from the BRT and others, the Larry letters, um, values, and all yeah. these organizations. Yeah. And you're seeing it from you know unexpected sources, hedge funds, and uh, sustainability investors, if that's the right word, ESG investors are gaining strength. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So everybody seems to be talking about it. Is this a permanent state of play? Do you think, Ethan? In other words, uh, if you were planning five years in a you know company, and that's a pretty typical planning horizon for some some big companies, how would you think about it? Is this uh, I don't want to say flavor of the month, but is this 
going to be around for a while. This focus, this intense focus we're all seeing on purpose, values, uh, employee activation. I don't see how it can't be. Um, I mean, there has always been tension between labor and capital. And, you know, it's like somebody's somebody's got capital and they want to, you know, <laughs> leverage it and they need some help. And so you get people who are going to help them do that. And I mean, that's that is a um, that is a fact of human existence. Yeah. Um, and, you know, in the best cases, it's a healthy tension where everybody comes out ahead and feels good about it. I would say that this moment of digital transformation is in the we're like in the first five minutes of the game. Here, yes, you I know. Agree. Um, so a resounding yes. If I were if I were making a, a five year plan, and by the way, I am. I mean, I'm doing a very great job. And <laughs> you're in your cubicle yeah, that we work. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. This is this is my um, this is my five year plan. Is is that you know these these mechanisms of change are just sort of um, the, the gears are just catching, and um, there's going to be um, a, not just um, kind of. You know, this tension, you know, trying to work to a mutual level of, um, you know, resolution on, on both sides of the kind of capital equation. But um, there's going to be the rate of that change is going to be very fast. And it, it already is. Yeah. Um, and, and work in a way that is um, highly unpredictable. And so we need to go back to, you know, this conversation we were having earlier about, you know, well, what kind of concomitant skills would be, you know, useful uh, to manage all this change. And it's going to be things like, you know, the ability to facilitate, the mm -hmm. ability to um, to uh, anticipate change through methods like Agile, mm -hmm. um, you know, the ability to interpret data and, and manage, you know, use tools to manage data, the, the ability, frankly, to be a multi-position player, mm -hmm. the, the sort of hmm. decreasing level of specialization, I exactly. think, um, in our work. And so those are the, those, you know, when I think about who I'm hiring for my group to um, manage the next year, the next five years of, uh, I hope, growth of this organization, uh, that's, that's kind of the plan is to attract people who have those capacities because there is so much ambiguity. Mm -hmm. um, but the ambiguity, I think, um, represents a huge opportunity, opportunity. for organizations, mm -hmm. but also it, there's a huge opportunity for people to have a new level of meaning in their work and a new level of satisfaction in the work that may never, uh, may not have been, you know, available previously because of this, you know, this great new kind of digital canvas that we're painting our lives on. Now, now do you have a sense, almost asking the reverse of Gary's question, when Gary asked you, do CR CHROs and CEOs know what they need? Do communicators who are running sort of this function mm -hmm. really know what they need? Mm -hmm. Great question. <laughs> I mean, I guess I know it's touchy because <laughs> some of them are undoubtedly your clients. This is where I get into trouble. No, I'm just kidding. I mean, I think you got to look at. Uh, I, I, I'm a big fan of the way the um, the, the most recent page thought leadership um, came together. I, I had the privilege to contribute to some of it. This this idea of having a um, sort of set of stages, like you know, the you know, from a pace setter to a practitioner, um, that sort of it's more of a range of you know, where are you in these different categories of, you know, understanding your social impact or, you know, your ability to address needs with technology and so on. And so I, I would say it's, you know, it's very uneven. Mm -hmm. I mean, you, you work with some, I mean, like someone like, um, you know, like we were just talking about, like with Smithen, um, mm -hmm. on the one hand, someone who's, you know, has just such great instincts. I think if you ask, if you ask, if, if she was a technologist, she'd be like, God, no, what are you talking about? Um, but she's got like really great instincts and kind of a flexible intellect and, you know, all these things. 
And then I think there are others who are like, okay, how can we circle the wagon around our CMS, you yeah. know, and just like get better control over, you know, what kind of information shows up on the web page. And so I think there's a range, and I, but I don't think anybody is dealt out. Like, I don't, I don't think we're at a moment where, oh man, you don't want to join the comms profession. Like, quite the contrary. Uh, totally a huge different, upside. yes. And I see that in yeah. the students here at BU. The creativity that, yeah. that these platform allows, these, these platforms yeah. allow, is immense. Much more than when Mike and I started. Yeah, in, no, in no, I, I, I totally agree. I mean, yeah. I think it, the, the whole field has become much more dynamic, uh, much more interesting, and, and it actually puts the uh, employee communications uh, leadership in a different position, where before it was just purveyors of information, yeah, yeah. And, and, and now they're actually problem solvers inside the organization. Yeah. I mean, I love the earlier example that you gave, you know, when you started talking about, you know, when you pull together a team that you've, and, and you're putting together uh, kind of what this role entails, just, that you really have to think about what is it that the company needs. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I remember the most energizing conversation I ever had as a, as a CCO in the employee communication space uh, was when all of a sudden I was dragged into a conversation with our CHRO at a company and they had a huge problem with turnover mm-hmm. in, in various plants right, that we were right. operating. And the question was, how could we use communications to change this equation? That was exciting. Yeah, exactly. I exactly. love that. I love that. And that's, by the way, one of the um, sort of agile principles is that you give a team sort of the outcome to solve for and the experience to solve for rather than the, you know, the product that you want them to make. So right. that leadership team didn't come to you and say, you know, we need a we need better posters in the bathroom. <laughs> you know, like I mean, you would have been able to exercise some creativity there, but I like you know, posters you would have been in like the bathroom. Looking for the eggs. <laughs> sure, that, and maybe that's the maybe that's the winning play here. But they gave you, you know, they gave you the business problem to solve, and I think that that you know the more the more our profession can see themselves aligned with the outcomes that are um, expressed in behaviors that are observable, uh, the more likely that we'll have you know, winning strategies and, you know, all that stuff, you know, accrues to it. Like the, the digital systems that are already deployed um, in adjacent groups, like, you know, the fact that they knew there was attrition in a certain plant, mm-hmm. you know, that's mm-hmm. probably some data coming out of HR, that right? gives you insight. Um, yep. the, yeah, exactly. And the more that we can align ourselves with outcomes uh, aligned with those data that are observable and they're incontrovertible, it isn't like, you know, we've raised awareness or the mood right. here is better or something. It's like, okay, attrition either goes up or down, and then you can adjust your tactics. Well, listen, we've had fun with Ethan about uh, his agency, but it's shaking up what we call employee engagement, employee communications activation in a really good way. And I, I think you've heard that from him today. Uh, and he's, his agency is, is really um, making a mark, and so uh, we've kidded about the WeWork cubicle, but it's uh, it's really <laughs> it's really impressive work. Thank, uh, thankfully, we're not in a WeWork. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So the the website is IntegralComs c o m m s dot com IntegralComs dot com. I, I really take a look at it and go on the IPR website. Look at some of the things that Ethan has written. Sign up for his newsletter. Um, this is an area for me as an old you know an old guy with a journalism background, this internal stuff to me is all pure learning. Mm-hmm. It's all pure learning. And I hope all of us, all of you listening today uh, feel the same way because I think it's been a great discussion. Yeah. Thanks, Ethan. Thanks, well, Ethan. Thanks.
Yeah, Gary. Hey, Gary, Mike, thank you very much. And thanks not just for today's conversation, but you both have been uh, incredible uh, inspirations and support to me through the years. So I really appreciate that. And uh, getting a chance to talk with, uh, with the two of you today has been a real delight. Thanks for having me. Great. Great. Terrific. Take care. Thanks for listening to The Crux, and make sure to listen for our next episode. Follow us at The Crux on Facebook and on Twitter, and you can find our episodes on SoundCloud and on our website, thecruxpodcast.org.